welcome to the IA Watch Podcast, a service of Regulatory Compliance Watch. Today, we look at the prospects of a fiduciary duty rule from the SEC and or the Department of Labor. Now, here's your host, IA Watch publisher, Carl Ayers. Thank you, Daryl Poe. This episode features an interview with David Blass, a partner with Simpson Thatcher in Washington, D.C. We speak about the prospects for a uniform fiduciary duty standard out of Washington. Now, David may be unique in addressing this topic because he spent years at the SEC and while there, worked as a liaison with the Department of Labor on the whole issue of a fiduciary duty standard. So the fiduciary debate is a long, long standing debate. And in terms of where it's going from here, one thing you need to look back and see where it's come, there's clearly been a lack of effective coordination by the DOL uh, and the SEC uh, up until now. Uh, What's clear is that the Secretary of the Labor and SEC Chairman Jay Clayton are working uh, together uh, much better than I've seen in the past. So where it's going to go, it looks like there's going to be, it will be an effort to have greater coordination between the DOL and the SEC on the fiduciary rule or whatever the conduct uh, uh, standard is that, uh, that the agencies work out. And hopefully we'll see a better, uh, more coordinated uh, rulemaking that, that kind of works uh, better than the DOL rule does today. Now you were at the SEC and you work with the DOL on this issue. How hard is it going to be and what are the top challenges for these two very different agencies to agree on one fiduciary duty standard? Yeah, that's, uh, that is a big challenge. So, so the one issue uh, that the agencies have to work through is they both administer different types of law. Uh, so the DOL administers ERISA, uh, which is a very prohibitive statute. It basically prohibits a lot of activities. Even uh, the acceptance of a commission uh, is uh, prohibited under ERISA unless there's an exemption for that activity. And that's kind of the problem with the DOL's current fiduciary rule. Uh, they tried to back channel or or shoehorn in a conduct standard into an exemptive rule. Uh, At the SEC, uh, they're quite familiar with fiduciary concepts. They administer the Advisors Act, which is uh, a fiduciary uh, uh, act, a principle-based act. So for the agencies to work together, if they're going to have a coordinated uh, one single standard, and it's not entirely clear that that's that's where things are headed, we'll we'll see. Uh, But if they're going to work together, they need to come to terms with how to in a simple, straightforward way, uh, express a conduct standard that's going to work across the securities industry, uh, regardless of whether the account is a retirement account or not. Well, then why doesn't it just make ideal sense to simply have everyone go with the standard associated with investment advisors? Yeah, that's been one concept that's been discussed quite a bit. There are a couple of challenges with that. One, it, it certainly is a, a simple, uh, pro- a simpler process because the SEC already administers that standard. Uh, the brokerage uh, community has some concerns about how the Advisors Act standard, which was crafted and developed over time through case law and enforcement and uh, rulemaking as a uh, standard for investment advisors, how that will apply to the specific brokerage business. So uh, what, I, what that portion of the industry has called for is a, more, a newer, more customized standard that uh, is written for the brokerage industry uh, with some guidance around how it's supposed to work. So please prognosticate. In two years, where is this issue, in your view, dead, stillborn, or will we have a uniform standard in place that covers ERISA, 
IAs and BDs? So I, my strong prognostication, I think I'll be right about this, is it's not dead. Uh, this is going to be uh, a, an agenda item, it appears, for SEC Chairman Clayton. Uh, and so if, as, as he accepts that as his agenda priority, uh, the SEC will move forward with, uh, with it in some form or fashion. Now, two years for any rulemaking, uh, that's a fairly aggressive timeline. It, it takes a long time to develop, uh, propose, uh, respond to comments, and adopt a rule within two years. Uh, so I think that that would be aggressive to expect the SEC and the DOL acting in coordination uh, to have accomplished that within two years. So my best guess is two years from now, uh, July 2019, we may well be looking at the SEC, possibly with the DOL, having issued a proposal uh, with a proposed conduct rule. Uh, comments uh, would have been submitted. Uh, and we're in a phase where we're looking to see what the next step is if the SEC moves forward with adopting a rule uh, or not uh, and how it would have responded to comments. That's most the, the most likely scenario uh, if the SEC really is going to move forward with the rule. The real question is how do they coordinate with the DOL and how does that impact the timing uh, because as challenging as it is for one agency uh, to develop and move forward with the rule, especially where you have different views within the agency, uh, it becomes exponentially more challenging when you're working in concert with another agency which has those same dynamics. What would be the implications for the industry and for investors if the two agencies can't agree on a standard and one or both proceed with their own? Well, Carl, that's precisely what's happened with the DOL. They proceeded with their own. Uh, and we've seen a lot of disruption in the marketplace as a result. Uh, it's a bit of a confusing uh, dynamic because the DOL doesn't have authority beyond retirement accounts. So they've developed uh, this best interest contract exemption, which has built within it uh, a conduct standard uh, that applies only to retirement accounts and stops at the border of retirement accounts. So the same advice that you get in a retirement account doesn't apply in a non-retirement account. It's just confusing. How is that good for the investor? Uh, a better approach is the more holistic approach. But if the question is what happens if one if the deal if the DOL goes forward without the SEC or vice versa, uh, we've seen it at least uh, with the DOL. Um, if the SEC were to move forward with a conduct standard, the the consequence is a little bit different. The SEC has a broad authority across the securities industry, uh, so its standard would apply throughout the securities industry, which makes some sense. It would not distinguish between, or presumably wouldn't, the SEC wouldn't try to distinguish between retirement accounts and non-retirement accounts. Now, of course, the SEC's authority is limited as well and doesn't run to advice about uh, um, investments that are not security. So pure insurance, um, commodities, things of that nature, uh, the SEC's standard uh, would not apply to those. Does that mean the CFTC has to be involved now, too? Oh, Carl, let's hope another agency doesn't get, get uh, jump into the uh, conduct standard uh, debate. So given all the uncertainty around this issue, the politics and everything else, what should broker-dealers and investment advisors do? What guidance would you give them now, given this current situation? Well, so they have to deal with the DOL rule in some form or fashion today. Uh, the, the initial compliance date has come. Now, the DOL uh, issued some helpful 
uh, guidance that it's not going to be enforcing uh, the rule in some circumstances. So uh, try that, that seemed to be an effort to try to let the marketplace continue to come into terms with the rule, but they, they have to deal with that rule today. If they're anticipating uh, a future state where there's a, an SEC rule and a coordinated DOL rule, uh, I think they'd be well advised to do two things. First of all, uh, with the DOL rule applying to retirement accounts, it's a challenge to administer that kind of uh, a program at a broker-dealer and investment advisor that stops at retirement accounts. So they at least have to think about whether they're going to extend the same treatment, even if not required by law, to the non-retirement account. Second, if they're anticipating an SEC rule, which I, I think is a, a, a fair uh, thing to anticipate, well, let's look to the standard that does exist. While the SEC may not uh, simply uh, apply the Advisors Act standard across the board to advisors and broker-dealers, they may customize it, uh, you can still learn some lessons from the Advisors Act standard. The main one being be upfront and uh, fair in disclosing what you're doing. Uh, so if you have a conflict, disclose it. Uh, that's a hallmark of the Advisors Act standard. Uh, that would be a good lesson to learn and apply on the broker-dealer side as well if, uh, if a firm feels that's appropriate. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think would be relevant to our discussion today? Yeah, so there's some different issues that uh, uh, Chairman Clayton and, and the team at the SEC are going to have to deal with that, that have historically come up in this, in this context. So the main one, and, and this, this is a, real, a really challenging landmine type of an issue. If you look back at the SEC staff study, uh, after Dodd-Frank recommending that the SEC move forward with the fiduciary rule. And then you look at the SEC's request for comment and data about a fiduciary rule. Th that was back in 2013. There's an issue that didn't get a lot of attention, but it's a pretty big one. It, it, in each of those circumstances, uh, the SEC was asking about a conduct standard or the staff study was recommending a conduct standard, but then it pivoted and said, well, let's think about the broker-dealer regulation uh, structure and think about what from that should apply to advisors. Well, that's a challenging, I mean, the conduct standard alone is challenging uh, for an agency to move forward with, but if you add to it, adding regulatory burdens from the broker-dealer side onto advisors, uh, it risks really uh, sinking by its own weight, which in my opinion is what's happened all, repeatedly at the SEC because of that issue. So that, that's something that Clayton, Chairman Clayton is going to have to think about and work through and find a way forward uh, uh, with and hopefully keep things simple, which, you know, if you look at his speech from his recent speech uh, on his agenda, seems to be what he wants to do. He seems to, he seems to want clear, effective, but efficient regulation that's not overburdened and overly complicated such that it's hard to administer. Uh, and so hopefully he'll, he'll keep things simple for the staff. Can you recap for our audience your experience in the past while you were at the SEC and trying to work with the DOL? For a point of time uh, at the SEC, I, I was primarily responsible for working uh, on the uh, SEC's thinking on the fiduciary rule and certainly did have interactions with the DOL. I'd say, uh, uh, without getting into the confidences of the SEC, w one key takeaway I had at the time was that the DOL doesn't have the level of expertise in the securities industry that the SEC does. That's by its nature, not surprising. Uh, surely they have expertise on the labor market that the SEC doesn't have. Uh, that's just their, their areas of responsibility. Uh, to create a rule that's effective 
and can be administered uh, and meet policy goals, you have to have the context of the sector of the world you're dealing with. And I think they probably missed some issues at the DOL uh, in terms of how their rule was going to work. When I was at the Investment Company Institute, we were observing so-called orphaned accounts. These are accounts that brokers uh, abandon because they're no longer uh, economically uh, um, viable. Uh, And the DOL rule was a cause of these orphaned accounts. I suspect that that was missed entirely uh, by the DOL, that uh, issue, even though some commenters predicted just that that would happen. So I'd say that's a long way of saying there needs to be some translation as the two agencies work together just to be sure they're talking on the same terms uh, and have a common understanding of what they're trying to accomplish and how best to go at it. Uh, And I think that 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 certainly could be enhanced as we move forward. And it, it seems like Chairman Clayton and Secretary Acosta from all of, uh, observations I have, which which are from the outside, they seem dedicated to doing that. I think the SEC's thinking is we need a harmonized standard. So it seems that they, they in the, at least in the past, have been thinking, let's make it less important, uh, the distinction between being an advisor or, and a broker-dealer, at least from the conduct standards. Um, whether they need to give a little bit on each side of, from the IA to the BD, I think about it in different terms. I think, um, I think we, my personal view is we need a consolidated, we need a, a, a uniform standard, a standard that's common between broker dealers and investment advisors, uh, so that investors get similar uh, uh, level of quality and um, advice from both sides. Whether there needs to be something from the broker-dealer side that is imposed on the advisor side, I'm less uh, convinced. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know that the SEC or the staff have ever articulated exactly what from the broker-dealer side makes sense to incorporate on the advisor side. So I think my personal view is let's keep it simple, focus on the conduct standard, and then if there's something that uh, we need to rethink on the advisor stand side, let's do that separately, uh, and let's be sure we have a compelling reason to do that. Thank you, David Blass. David's a partner with Simpson Thatcher here in Washington, D.C. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Find out more about IA Watch at this website, www.iawatch.com forward slash podcast. That's www.iawatch.com forward slash podcast. I'm IA Watch publisher, Carl Ayers.